Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Nathan Venderbles. Nathan is the head of fleet and procurement at Kenart's Hire and has been with the organization for the past 17 years, first joining as a serviceman driver. Nathan is also the New South Wales president for the Hire and Rental Industry Association. And I actually recorded this podcast in Adelaide while I was at the Hire 22 convention. I thought this would be a great opportunity to get a little bit of insight into the way that one of the largest rental companies in the world manages a fleet and procurement, especially around the current economic climate with procuring equipment. So I hope everyone enjoys the episode and yeah, let's get into it. All right, Nathan, Nathan, well, welcome on the Rental Journal podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Bit of a honor. You've had some real legends and icons of the industry. So yeah, I find, feel a bit honored to be sitting here talking to you. So ah, it's very, very you. nice to hear that. It's, um, I enjoy it. Like I, I try and like have a bit of a mix. Like I don't want to have just the legends. I want to have senior leaders. And I also want to, like I had um, a hire controller from Camden Hire on last week on. Yeah, it's great. 21 years old, fresh face, just want to hear his piece because it's important that we don't just hear from like one type of person yeah. because it gives a bit of a bit of an array of people. So no, I appreciate that, that feedback. But yeah. so we are at the Hire 22 convention in, in Adelaide. So yep. you would be one of the most popular people walking through, uh, looking after procurement within Kenart Hire. <laughs> so, so before we get into the Kenart Hire side, uh, maybe you wanted to talk about how you first got associated or involved in the equipment rental industry. Yeah, for sure. So I think like most people, I sort of stumbled into it. Um, and it's a bit unfortunate, not many people sort of leave school or unless you, you grow up in a family business that's in hire, you don't necessarily think, oh, you know, I'm going to be in the hire game for, for, your, for your life. But um, I left school in year 10, um, went straight into a, a traineeship as a butcher, so customer service type industry, um, and sort of felt um, uh, at around the age of 17 that, that I didn't see a future in that. And um, tried a few different things and then um, stumbled across a, a, a job in hire with John Woods and a company down in Wollongong called Oaks Hire. Um, so started with them as a yard hand in around 2013, 2014. So still just a young pup, 17, you know, still on P plates and started as a yard hand delivery driver with those guys. And then in 2005, uh, was acquired by, Oaks Hire was acquired by Kennards. And um, yeah, been with Kennards since. Uh, and so when you were, when, when Oaks was uh, acquired by Kennards Hire, what was your role and how long have you been there at that point in time? Well, I'd been with Oaks Hire for say 18 months, maybe two years. So still pretty fresh. Yeah, okay. yeah, very fresh. Yeah, so I was still just a, a, a the, the job title was yard hand at Oaks Hire, which is a, so I came into Kennards Hire as a service person driver. So servicing the gear, doing the deliveries, serving the customers in the yard, those sorts of things. Um, and yeah. Were you... Uh, were you a bit nervous when you when you heard that Kennards was coming in to buy the business? Yeah, well, look, I was still young at that stage, so I didn't know really know, you know, what I was doing. I was enjoying the job with Oaks Hire, and yeah, for sure, a big company like Kennards comes and you go, well, what's this going to look like? You know, am I still going to have a job? Yeah, you know, but um, you know, hindsight, I know now the, the way that Kennards look after people, and you know, that's probably one of the last concerns that you need to have um, when Kennards does come in. But yeah, at the time, it's a lot of uncertainty, so. Yeah, you're not yeah. sure what's going to happen. 
Kenatai seems to have a bit of a methodical process for acquiring these businesses. And and uh, if you look at like New Zealand as as the example, I've, I've mentioned it many times. Like they uh, they've done a great job of sort of building that market up just through the acquisition with McIntyre over there and stuff like that. But there's heaps of businesses. They acquire businesses every year, and I think it's a uh, it's an opportunity to to take on more challenges. And you look at yourself, you're in that yard role. And then like today, you're one of the, the senior managers within Kenatai. So it's, it's um, it can be scary, but it also, when you work with a company like a big organization like Kenatai, a lot of opportunities will arise. Yeah, R- reality is it's the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. So yeah, definitely. And, you know, to speak to the, uh, methodology, the methodology of, of what uh, canards have. This podcast episode was sponsored by the Fleet Office. Get away from paper documents and spreadsheets and become more compliant by using a cloud-based fleet management software. Save money by streamlining your hire business and understanding your fleet and utilization better. Create quotes, invoices, Allocate equipment and operators to jobs and easily compare your projected income with your current invoices, making you more profitable. Pre-starts, risk assessments, maintenance, timesheets, dockets, and asset efficiency, all managed on one easy-to-use platform. Learn more at thefleetoffice.com.au. Um, when acquiring a business, yes, it's, it's, it is um, a, a fairly set process and they're, they're great at doing it, but one of the key components is the people and making sure you know, the people that come over are looked after and are welcomed into the business and feel part of the family straight away. And that tells, you, you can see through the acquisitions that we've done, the people that are still in the business and mm. you know, people that have moved into senior positions within the business have come from acquisitions. There's a, there's a good chunk of people that have come from acquisitions. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and I'm assuming when you're at Oaks and then when Kenatai came in and you're you're the yardman driver, it was probably a bit more flexibility and a bit more multiple roles. And then Kenatai came in as probably a lot more structure to the to the role. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes and no, because Kenard's is bigger and had more branches and things like that. Yeah, that sort of opened up avenues to to do different things within that role. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kennard certainly does have that structure of certain roles in the branches mm. and certain responsibilities, but nature of the industry, I, I mean, I've always got the saying, everyone in Kennard is a serviceman driver at the end of the day. Um, I like that. Everyone, if you need to, you, you get out there servicing the gear and get ready for the customer. If there's a customer there, you serve them, you pick up the phone, um, what have you. So yeah, always, that's always say everyone's a service person driver in Kennard's. And so got into that role, and then I'm assuming you progressed through the various roles in the branch? Yeah, yeah. So um, worked through um, the service person driver role into a 2IC role. Um, did that for around about 12 or 18 months, and then um, got the opportunity to take on a branch manager role at, Cor- at our Coromel branch in, in the Wollongong area. So Coromel was a small store. Um, so it was a branch manager role, but it was also an all-rounder role because you, you had to do everything. You, you only had a couple of guys, so you didn't have that set structure of having your maintenance controllers okay. and hire controllers. It was basically um, service person driver, 2IC and branch manager. So um, that was it, it, that was really good for my experience because I got to see everything in the business and be hands-on with everything. Um, so I think it sped up uh, my own development mm. uh, to some degree. Um, because you can sort of get stuck thinking, oh, you've got to be in a big branch or a big business to, to get all these skills, but not necessarily. I think you've got to 
um, have a bit of both and I've worked the, the, the branches that I come up in was a bigger branch but I also went and worked at other branches within the network just to you know, bring all that experience together so yeah, yeah I think understanding and I spoke about this a lot on the podcast understanding what it means to actually do someone's job like just adds so much more value to your leadership style completely agree yeah and and, and it's the benefit of um, pr- promoting from within because people understand the business they've been in different roles and then when you come up and have to manage a team of that role then yeah you have an understanding and you're not you're not really asking anyone to do anything that you probably haven't done yourself in the, yeah. in the past so you know that adds weight I think for sure yeah and so got that branch manager role smaller location uh, what happened from there uh, so I was there for around about three years and then uh, got the opportunity and took on an area manager role. So looked after initially five branches on the south coast, so um, the Wollongong and southern Sydney area. Um, and that was a that was a great step for me. I was still young at the time, so I took that role at 25. Wow, okay. Um, so that was a steep learning curve. Uh, each of the steps were, um, but absolutely loved that role. And, um, you know, did that for around about nine to ten years, grew the area, looked after more branches, opened up new branches, so got to be on the other side of an acquisition where I actually led the acquisition and, and um, onboarded new teams and new branches and built, um, built those businesses up. And uh, just towards the end of um, my tenure as an AM, also opened a Greenfield branch as well. So, yeah, learnt a lot, worked with great people and obviously still do. Um, but, yeah, that area manager roles. A fantastic role. It's mm. basically you, you touch all aspects of the business as an area manager with Ken Attire and um, people being the most important element of that and leading the people. But yeah, great, great role. And then so like you had a, it sounds like you had a pretty fast pr- career progression within Ken Attire. So to be an area manager at 25, that must be one of the younger people within the organisation to get to that level. So why do you think you progressed at that rate? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I, I was always wanting, I was, I'm always chasing more, so I'm, I'm like always wanting to learn more, always want to do more, experience different things. Um, so I didn't just settle and say I'm a branch manager and focus on my branch. I always wanted to be part of the area and contribute to the, the broader success, but also was always one to want to be involved in projects or acquisitions or um, you know new rollouts across the business or change, that sort of stuff. So... I guess I was, you know, I was always focused on my role and, you know, you have to do that before you can worry about anything else. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just the sort of person, I guess, that is always looking for, all right, what's next? What else can I do? Mm. And, um, you know, where's the next step? And and absolutely just love the, the, the role. So, you know, for me, uh, this, is a, this is a long-term career, so I just wanted to keep... Keep moving along. Yeah. So, so you, you said that you were doing your apprenticeship to become a butcher, and then you obviously found uh, found the hire industry. What do you think about the hire industry made you realise that you wanted to work in it? I think the people first and foremost is is one of the main things that I love about the industry, and and can I tie for sure? I mean, the people in our business are, are fantastic. Um, what I love about the industry is the, the diversity of the role. Like no two days are ever the same. You might be doing similar things, you know, two days in a row, but they're never the same. You know, mm. the next customer call is always different to the one before and there's a new challenge or a new problem to solve. And I love 
I love having to you know constantly learn and think and uh, so the diversity is is something that I you know preach to if you if you want diversity in a job and a career then hire is is one that you should definitely look at yeah and I think when I was chatting to the the chap at at Camden High he was saying when he first joined the industry he was trying to plan ahead heaps it's very hard to plan ahead in the hire industry because customers need things now like right now and then and they don't really have time to plan obviously they're, they're trying to solve a problem and so did you ever run into that thing where you were trying to adjust to the just-in-time mentality in the industry um yeah you're right the whole the industry is reactive we're, like we're serving customers and trades and people that get an issue now and need it solved and they're also you know tradies can traditionally be you know, known to be not that necessarily organised. So at the end of the day, when they want something, they want it now. So you have to be, you have to learn to be quick and and you know find solutions quickly. Um, but you also have to have some planning and be able to forward think and see you know what's happening in your area or your branch or what your customers are chasing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can you know so you can make the most of those reactive moments make the best of it yeah and then so area manager um what what then happened what was the next step yeah so area manager for yeah around about nine to ten years and then um at the start of 2021 so last year um uh, took on the the role of head of fluid and procurement for canards um so that was a bit uh, i guess a step out of the direct operations of the business um, and into to the equipment side of things, which as an area manager, I'd always had a passion for and interest. I always uh, had been on our uh, new equipment kit team for uh, for quite a few years and um, had involvement in the hire association, so I had already had relationships with um, a lot of suppliers and those sorts of things. Um, and, and again, I was at the point where I was looking for a new challenge and, you know, what more can, I can add to the to the company. So, yeah. And so you mentioned the exciting piece around the people of the industry uh, to, to lead Kenard's Hire and then the procurement and fleet space. Like you've got to have a passion for the actual assets themselves. And and doing the 10 years as an area manager, nine years as an area manager, you would have learned so much. So you got, did you spend a lot of time like studying the equipment and figuring out over those, that, that tenure as well? Yeah, I wouldn't say studying the equipment. I, it's just like you learn on the job. As, as I said before, you're constantly getting a question, asked a question that you might not know the answer to, so you've got to find that answer quick. So you, you learn on the job, and just naturally, the equipment and service you know, is, is our business. So you have to know the equipment. And it's almost like an apprenticeship when you start. There's so much to learn, mm. and you're all, you never stop learning either. So, um, yeah, you, you have to have that interest i think to be successful in equipment hire you have to have some sort of interest in the equipment and the, the more you drill into that you know the more there is to learn and and um you know time time and on the job is yeah. how i've i've sort of developed my skills and so over your tenure at kenard's hire that the way that kenard's acquire assets has evolved over the years so I'm assuming you would have been exposed to a certain point when you were a branch manager and an area manager, but when you were offered that position, you took it on. How much experience did you have in that procurement side? Um, I wouldn't say a lot of experience in the direct procurement side. 
I mean, going back years ago, we, we used to order some assets ourselves as as branch managers. So the, it has changed significantly from you know ordering from from your order books to um, into uh, ordering you know through through the base plan system for us um, and and through purchase orders and that all linking up to the plant um, portals and plant numbers and the rest of that. So, um, but from a hands-on experience in procurement very little other than as an area manager you're the one to request the equipment and uh, understand what specs you need and what what equipment you mm. need for your market so um sort of i had the area manager experience of the procurement which is you know a piece of the procurement puzzle sure. for sure i think it'd be interesting to to go down that path a little bit of how it's evolved so so let's go back 10 years yep. what was the process for the branches within kenatai to buy equipment yeah, so essentially you had a, a, a dollar value um, limit where you would order the assets that you needed, obviously with area manager approval. Um, so that was a direct order from branch to the supplier. So you would order the gear still through purchase order, but through manual books and manual invoicing. And you know, the old, you'd have to match, match them up and you didn't have the system to streamline that. Um, and then over and above that was obviously area manager and general manager approval which would then uh, go to, at the time, we had you know, Mark Zimmer and um, some other people in the company that also oversee some of the larger asset purchasing. Now, a- as it's evolved, uh, all assets now are procured through our procurement team. So all serialised assets, anything with a plant number, is, is purchased through um, a central team. Uh, and obviously we have systems and everything in place to set standards for equipment, you know, negotiate pricing, um, you know, have the right contacts and, and make it make sure it's effective and efficient. Mm. So if the branch thinks that they need a new asset at the moment, like what's the process for them? Do they request it up then? Yeah, so if a branch manager needs an asset, essentially they would speak to their area manager. Um, again, there's certain, certain assets where, you know, there's... Uh, automatic approvals and that sort of thing in place Um, and then we would obviously check the network being such a large network we're able to pull assets if there's underutilized gear and things like that so um, we'll obviously look at those sort of options depending again what the asset is and dollar value and and um, you know the returns we get on particular assets but then from there it becomes an area manager and general manager conversation to get the the capital approved Mm. and then um, it all comes down to once it's approved, no matter what the asset is, an area manager will enter their request into the system. That goes to the procurement team and, and we procure the asset. Yeah, so maybe it would be good to touch on some of the, the benefits of centralising that, that purchase. And you've already touched on some of it around making sure you've got all the right documentation for the asset, maybe getting the, the right pricing and the right preferred uh, supplies, uh, maybe making sure you can get the right utilisation. So like, do you want to just touch on some of those topics? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I guess starting with pricing, obviously you centralise it, so therefore you're using you know, a number of suppliers rather than every branch order and whatever they want from whoever they want. You lose your buying power then, so bringing it in, obviously you're able to manage that. You're able to use your buying power, negotiate you know, your pricing and, and have your set suppliers in place and, and lock those prices in um, where you can. So, so you, know, you know for a period of time that's what you're going to pay for those assets. Um, from a uh, from a standards point of view, it's it's absolutely key um, because again, if you've just got everyone ordering whatever they want to order, 
and you don't have a standard for can I tie it? Do you? You go to one branch and you get one different thing. You go to the next one, you get mm. uh, an, another thing. So um, through centralising, you're able to build what the standard is. We need broadly for the business. Make sure you've got the right safety components. Um, you know the right up spec, depending on what the product is for the market that you're serving. And you have that. You know, you, you, you get what you need every time. Mm. Yeah, and you, you mentioned a, an icon in the industry just before with Mark Zimmer. So I've heard I've heard stuff about him. I've never met Mark, unfortunately. Hopefully one day I can. But I, the rumor was that Mark had everything in his head. He was able to. He, he knew everything about Ken Atai with the procurement, and and when he was at the point of wanting to retire, they needed to to digitize the process. Is that sort of the the process that occurred? Yeah, well, I wasn't hands on involved in that transition with Mark into the new function that is today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I worked with Mark as an area manager, not directly um, closely in the team. But yeah, he was like the bible for um, for for equipment in Canards, and he had the relationships with the suppliers and knew you know what to buy the you know the technical specs of all the equipment, and just was like just an absolute wealth of of knowledge mm. in that space for us. So yeah, I mean, obviously um, with him retiring, you got to be able to pull that information out and. Um, and bring that in so we so we can continue to to utilize it so yeah no it's it, it's like when you've got that sort of knowledge and you're working with suppliers so much you can almost help innovate the industry as well because you're letting them know mm, our customers are giving us a bit of pushback on this type of uh, machine for this reason and so you're saying we'll buy more of these if you change it to have tracks or this or that is that is that a common practice yeah absolutely i mean we've got to have that uh partnership with our suppliers that we we grow and innovate and develop products together and at the end of the day they they get their market intel you know whether it's through other hire companies and users or us Um, but if the customers are saying something's not right then we all need to have that conversation to improve it so we can all do better i mean if the customer doesn't want it the way it is then We've got to find a product that is what they want or fix, innovate and improve the product um, to what the market needs. So, mm. yeah, we, we continually have conversations and um, even as new products are coming in, they might be at prototype stage. So, you know, we um, get invited to those types of conversations um, at times and, yeah, it's, it's got to be a two-way street for sure. Yeah, and as I said, so we're at the Higher 22 convention at the moment. Uh, how many years have you been involved with the, the Higher Mental Industry Association? So being involved, I, I, I took a spot on the New South Wales committee, going to say maybe seven years ago, eight years ago. Um, and I was on the committee for a couple of years and then um, took on the New South Wales president's role around about five years ago. So in total, eight years. But prior to that, I'd been to some um, HRIA meetings and events and things like that. But actually, you know, involved in in the I guess the running and um, more hands on with the association in about about eight years. Mm, and attending a lot of the conventions. Yeah, yeah. I think well, certainly since I've um, been the, the New South Wales president, I've been to to all the shows. Um, obviously, run the New South Wales meetings, but yeah, the conventions are obviously a big thing to get to. And what do you think you get the obviously looking for new machines? But what do you think uh, you get the most out of attending these types of uh, conventions? Yeah, look for me, it's it's getting to meet new people. So then there's the networking piece of it, and um, you, I can't speak enough to that. Like you, you got to meet new people so you can 
um, obviously build those relationships, but also learn from, you know, I always try and learn from everyone that I meet and, you know, there's a lot of great people in this industry. So, mm. you know, one of the best things is, is building those relationships and meeting new people. Um, obviously in the role that I'm in now, this, this is great for me, you know, two to three days of, of getting to catch up with all these suppliers in a couple of days, certainly see the new products and, 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 and look for what's next. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to be able to um, catch up with everyone and you know, either build new relationships with new suppliers or maintain and grow the existing ones, um, it's, it's invaluable. And then we, we had Andy Kennard uh, on, on the podcast and, and he spoke about the importance that suppliers play to the industry and in particular to to Kennard's hire and um, you even have an awards night uh, for your suppliers as well so do you just want to talk a little bit about the importance that suppliers play to Kennard's hire? Yeah for sure so we see we see our suppliers as business partners it's not that typical just transactional relationship where you know you're a supplier and and we're a customer and we buy from you it's about having partnerships and relationships and it goes to um, the point around you know grow, growing and developing new products and new markets together. Um, so yes, we we value our suppliers as part of our business. Like they're, they're part of Kennard Tire. And we can't, at the end of the day, we're an equipment hire business. So mm. we can't be successful without the best product and the best suppliers. Um, yes, we negotiate hard and and uh, we've got really high expectations on our suppliers, but, but they're still, it, it's not us and you, it's, uh, uh, sorry, it's not you uh, versus us type of thing. Um, we, we work on one together and if there's issues we work on it together and um, yeah it's it's a, it's a partnership it's not not transactional yeah I, I can't imagine a harder time to get into procurement in 2021 <laughs> so you obviously were in the, the peak of a lot of uh, supply and demand issues so yeah. what's that been like over the last couple of years yeah, it's been been pretty crazy to be honest with you. I, I often say, if I, I think of, if we can get through this, if I can get through this, <laughs> on the other side, it might be pretty smooth sailing. But uh, you know, I'm sure there's always going to be challenges and that, that sort of stuff. But yeah, certainly very interesting time to to take this role. And um, you know, we've got a the reality is we've we've had to adapt really quickly and learn how to do things a bit differently because to the point before we were talking about being reactive. That is the business. We're reactive. We get a call for a long-term hire, and you want you need to buy a new machine. You need that stock to to, to be able to buy it. Reality is right now that it's, it's near impossible. So you have to be able to forward think. Um, we're certainly getting a lot better at using data. So um, you know, particularly from a replacement point of view, and and um, you know what what products are hot and what products are not, and what new markets and things like that. So we need to be able to look forward and and forecast and you know in some ways look into the crystal ball and see you know what's coming because if you just don't do anything then you you're not gonna make hay while the sun shines in, in this you know buoyant market that we've got right now yeah do you want to elaborate a little bit more on the data side because i think that's a well the, the first challenge for a lot of businesses if they don't have the data then you can't report on anything but if you do have the data, like Kenan has a very data-rich uh, system. So, so what are some of the key metrics that you're sort of looking at when you're trying to forward think those decisions? Yeah. So obviously you're looking at things like age of equipment, like from a replacement point of view, you're looking at things like age for, of equipment, kilometres, hours, those sorts of things to go, all right, well, you know, products have a shelf life. So 
um, you need to make decisions around when you want to turn those products around. Um, you know, from a growth and a depth point of view, you're looking at things like utilisation, so financial and time utilisation, um, and your, your return on your investment, you know, your whole life of asset costs and, you know, making sure that you're, you're making a buck, you know, which is what we're here for at the end of the day. Um, so by using, you know, the data, that helps inform decisions rather than just having to go off gut or, you know, what you're seeing in the market, you're able to use some, some data behind, mm. you know, making smart decisions. Yeah, it always amazes me when I see smaller branches, not can I tie, but just smaller independent branches and I ask, how people report on some of the data and they'll look out the window and I'm like, oh yeah, utilization's around seventy five percent at the moment. <laughs> like it, it's like how can you scale that sort of business? Like it yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, it's crazy. All right. Well um look working through those various roles that you've had, uh Kennard's high is always onboarding new staff uh, around the country and in, in New Zealand. If if there was a serviceman driver that was starting today like what, what advice would you give give them? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'd like to think if you're if you're joining that you're seeing a career in the industry, um, and and with Kennard's Hire. So um, if that's you, I would say uh, you know knuckle down early and and start working hard. It's an industry where we work hard, so we, you know don't join if you think it's going to be all you know roses and and, and cruisy because. Um, and that's a, another thing why a lot of people love it. We, we do work hard, um, but it's rewarding and, and it's, a, it's a great job. So get in, work hard, um, learn as much as you can, you know, a, as you go. Don't be in too much of a rush. Like as I said before, you've almost got to treat this like an apprenticeship and, and learn the steps as you go. Um, but also try and pick early what path you want to go down. So it, being a diverse industry, there's different paths to go down. It's not just you know, working in a, particularly if you work for a company like um, Kennards, it's not just branch roles. So you can go into sales, you can go into IT, you can go into, um, you know, major project roles. And there's, the, the industry's evolving also really quick. So try and um, try and decide which path you want to go down and then start setting your goals and, and working towards it. But uh, mm. be prepared to work hard. Yeah, and the, the beauty of it that I love is that, like, let's say that you did choose a BDM role hypothetically you wanted to be a product specialist or whatever it is you also have like uh different product lines that you can special like let's say that you're in love with concrete yeah there's probably people out there that love concrete and that's all they want to talk about yeah and then you can say i want to be involved with concrete care or test and measure or whatever it is if you want to specialize like that's that's the part that i think a lot of people in the next generation that are coming through don't realize that it's not just standing behind a counter serving customers coming in and out. There's a whole array of opportunities and it's like figure out what you like and what you're good at and what you're interested in and go find and experiment and learn from people and take on those roles. And over 10 years, like you, your, your career progression will, will immensely grow rather than you just sort of limiting yourself from your own, your own, I guess, opinion of the industry. Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, there's so much to learn. There's different avenues you can go down. Um, and so try and find something that you're passion, passionate about early and then start start working hard and start learning. Yep. Mm, definitely. All right, well, this is sort of relevant, but it's probably more relevant to you in, uh, rather than like a serviceman driver. Like if you can give advice to maybe a younger self of uh, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, what, what would you say? Yeah, it's another good question. I would say, um, you know, 
similar type of answers, but but I would say surround yourself with the right people first and foremost, especially you know when you're younger, it can be easily influenced. Um, so surround yourself by the right people, and again, start learning from those people and pick what you what you want to take. What I've always tried to do from the people that I look up to and that have sort of helped develop me is you, you, you take just bits and pieces and sometimes those pieces are, are things that you don't want to do and don't want to be, but most of them are positive, right? So just surround yourself with the right people, start picking those pieces and, and moulding yourself into what you want to be, get involved you know, in things like the Hire Association, we've got the Young Professionals Network, so strongly encourage you know, um, involvement in that because that's got the networking piece, you start building relationships early, um, and you know, like I keep going back to, don't be in a rush. Um, you don't have to be in a rush. There's a lot to learn, but but knuckle down and be clear where you want to go, but work hard. Mm. And then you spoke about the young professional network, where there's a, a mentoring uh, element. Is there anyone in particular that you think has mentored you over your career so far? Yeah, look, so, so many because of how I try and learn is picking pieces from everyone. Like obviously, there's the, the you know the big guys like you know the Kennards family, Peter Lincoln, people like Alan Besling. You know, they've sort of been the people that I've looked up to and sort of idolised. You know, through um, through Kennards, um, but you know I've had great branch managers and area managers when I was young coming up. The, the I probably credit two people. Um, for, for two of the biggest steps in my career, which would be um, Steve McDonald, who, who works for for Shaw High yeah, now. Legend. I mean, I always say I wouldn't be I wouldn't become an area manager without having him. Uh, you know, when I was a branch manager, he enabled me to develop really quick and and uh, mentored me as a branch manager. And then, you know, I was able to take the area manager role at a really young age. And I, I strongly credit that to to Steve and the person he is. And and um, you know how he helped me develop and mentor me. And then as an area manager, I would say um, Darren Simmons, who was uh, the New South Wales general manager, um, yeah, he, he enabled me to, he, he mentored and developed me, but enabled me to, you know, have the autonomy to go out there and learn and, and, and grow and build, you know, my own local business as, a, as an area and, uh, you know, got me to a point where I was able to then take this next step. So... Mm. so many people and I'm sure I'm missing plenty um, because there is so many but uh, the whole industry's just got a wealth of people that you look up to and learn from and you know they, they might not be directly thinking that they're mentoring or helping you but if you build the right relationships and and that's what you want to get out of it then then you'll do it yeah and even when those people are mentoring the next generation or anyone that's going through a business they're always learning as well. Like they're learning, on, like you would find it as well. Like when you're trying to teach someone that's at a branch manager level or, or 2IC or whatever it is and you're teaching things and you think, oh, you know what, That maybe there is something else that I can sort of do in this area. So like it's, uh, yeah, it's not just a start and finish and now I'm in this role. It's constantly evolving and improving and thinking of, because the, the industry is constantly changing. So you need to always be thinking of different ways that things can be done. It's not just a, a linear line. Absolutely. As I said, you never stop learning. And I think another great thing about this industry is people are so willing to share and, and you know, have open discussions and, and um, you know, as I said, indirectly help develop people. And, and I think people enjoy that. I know, you know, I do. I'm only ever too happy for, you know, to, to help people or, 
um, share my own experience and you know I'm you know I still feel young and still I still feel like I'm very much learning on the job and learning as we go but if I can help anyone at any time I'm you know that's I love that so mm. and, I, and I think most people in this industry are the same like we're just uh, there's so many relatable people we're so which such a similar base of people within the industry that get along so well and that's why events like here at you know the higher shows you know it's just awesome yeah because it's it's a unique industry where like you even get mentored by your competitors which is quite amazing isn't it yep it's a how how many industries can you you say that you're going there and, and your competitors giving you tips <laughs> on how to be better <laughs> like it's uh it's very common yeah, no, for sure. I mean, obviously, you're not out there sharing, you know, commercial information and, and those sorts of things. But, yeah, we have open conversations around, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And and uh, it's that's great. I mean, that, that's, what this was, that's what this was built of, you know. The, yeah. um, the Andy Kennards of the world built this association for that, to, to share and grow the industry and look at the results. Mm. Have you travelled overseas much to learn about uh, other markets? Um, I've I've had I've done one one trip over to a ARA show um, a few years back, which was which was great. You know, you see, um, it, it, it you get to see a different way of how they do things over there. Obviously, everything in America is much bigger, yeah. and it's much bigger scale, and and uh, you know the show is massive, and, and and the people are great. So, yeah, I've, I've done that, and and that's something that that um, you know, post COVID now we're we're certainly keen and. And I'm um, looking forward to getting back out to doing. Obviously, the last couple of years has been on hold, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll be looking to do a bit of that for sure. Awesome. And so, how do you define success? Yeah, I, th- I mean, in a couple of ways, I would say. I mean, there's the obvious. Obviously, when you win or you you know beat a target or or achieve a goal, that's success, right? Um, most people would would say that. But to me. In a lot of ways, uh, success is a feeling. Like it's, you don't necessarily have to win to be successful. Um, it's a you know feeling of accomplishment. You know, whatever it might be that I'm doing. Have, you know, have you had fun? Have you enjoyed it? Have you learned? Um, have you grown as a person? Like they're all elements of, to me, that would make me feel successful. So, it's not just about kicking a goal or um, or, or hitting a target. It's about a feeling of success. Yeah, it's quite amazing that once you get that feeling, it just motivates you to do even better. Yeah. And I think if you if you don't love what you do, it's hard to get that feeling. And it really can restrain you on what your your potential is. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean that feeling of success is what drives a lot of people. And and you know, when when things get hard and things like you know, it's and you're feeling unsuccessful. That that can be demotivating. Um, but yeah, you've got to you've got to love what you do. You've, you've got to chase that feeling of um, of success, whatever that is for you, and that will that'll push you forward for sure. I mean, that's that's what gets you going. Awesome. All right, Nathan. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. Cheers, mate.